Welcome back to Word and Table, a weekly podcast about liturgy, sacrament, and the great tradition of Christian worship and why it is vital in our world today. I'm here, uh, as always, with Father Stephen Gautier, canon theologian of the Diocese of the Upper Midwest in the Anglican Church in North America. Welcome, Father Stephen. Thank you. Good to be back, Alex. And uh, I'm your host, Alex Wilgus. And um, if you're listening to this, then it will be just a couple of days after Christmas. Um, And so maybe you're home with your families. Maybe you're celebrating uh, today. But we wanted to take this episode to talk about Christmas and the great feast of Christmas. Um, Because as we noted on a previous episode about the liturgical calendar, uh, Christmas is actually just uh, one feast day in a series of seasons and feast days that the church uses to celebrate the life of Jesus. So go back and uh, listen to the liturgical calendar episode, if you haven't already. Um, But this episode, we want to focus specifically on the Feast of Christmas. And I wanted to bring this up, Father Stephen, because I would say, I'd hazard to say that Christmas is the feast day in the liturgical calendar that our culture, our Western culture, our American culture, um, has continued to celebrate the most and maybe even develop their own understanding of, of how, of what Christmas means and how to celebrate it. Um, but, uh, I wanted to go back and talk about how the church has celebrated Christmas, what it means to the church and how the church continues to celebrate it, uh, today. So Father Stephen, what is, uh, how do we understand Christmas through the lens uh, of the church? Well, as we mentioned in an earlier episode, um, it's one of the two pillars of the church year. The church started out, the whole center of its calendar was Easter, the death and resurrection of Jesus. That was the calendar. And then it expanded. The second great pillar became the birth of Jesus, his incarnation on Christmas. Those are the two great pillars. And it's interesting that that order tells us a lot. The birth of Jesus is interesting, is meaningful to us because of what happens on Easter. So those two are directly tied together. Remember during the Gospels, so often the the apostles just don't get it. But they get it after the resurrection, with the resurrection of Jesus, and thanks to the Holy Spirit, suddenly it makes sense. It all comes together. They understand who Jesus is and what he came to do. That's right. And so what the church has always looked upon this as, again, the two are directly tied. Jesus perfectly explained the connection between the two is once, as he's facing his death, he says to his apostles, imagine, he says, basically, imagine my dilemma, it's in John twelve twenty seven, is how can I pray not to die? That's the whole reason I've come into the world. Hmm. So the, you know, the reason we have the birth of Jesus is for Easter, is for his death. The one thing God can't do is die. He's the I am. He cannot die. He has to take on our mortality. The immortal one has to become mortal. And that's the story. Why does he do that? So we can have the death and resurrection. He dies for our sins and we receive eternal life. So again, the church, those two are very tied together. Christmas can only really be understood. It's sort of interesting. In the Eastern Church, to emphasize this fact, they have icons or special religious paintings. You recognize them if you, the, the term doesn't uh, seem familiar to you. They seem very stylized. Uh, uh-huh. Sometimes seem sort of flat compared to perspective painting. Uh, very colorful. Yeah, I think I see them on documentaries mostly. You, and you see them a lot. You know, history books, yeah. And they're very important in the Eastern Church, but the one, they're always standardized. And the one on Christmas always has the baby Jesus. The manger which Jesus is lying on looks exactly like a stone tomb. It's stone, it looks like a tomb. Oh. And the baby Jesus is in swaddling clothes that look like burial, like burial shroud. Oh, or, or like, uh, what do you call it, the wrappings around someone who's dead. Yeah. And that's exactly to remind us that there's a Christmas carol that says Christ was born for this, is what Jesus was saying. 
we all, this is not about cute babies, and this is about to understand what Christmas is about, is to understand that he was born expressly for what would happen on Good Friday um, and Easter Sunday. Okay, so that really understanding his birth and his nativity involves um, looking forward to what he's there to do, to die um, and, and be resurrected. We're looking at Christmas back through the lens of, of Easter. Right. Yeah, well, that's really helpful because I don't think that that's always how uh, it's understood these days. Uh, it seems to be kind of a lot about, you know, maybe just giving gifts and uh, celebrating cute babies and things like that. Well, I think part of the problem, practically speaking, is there's not much you can do with Easter if you don't believe in the death and resurrection of Jesus. And, you know, Christmas still has the possibility of the romanticized thing about children and families and things that can sort of give a non-religious content. But, you know, from the church's viewpoint, they're, they're, they're the twin pillars of the year. And again, Christ was born for this. It's a reminder from the very beginning, he became incarnate. Why did, you know, he, we talk, he emptied himself out, as Paul tells us. He, you know, he took on our humanity in its lowest forms. You know, that's what the incarnation is about, which is what will happen on Good Friday, suffering death on a cross. Yeah. So, um... I would also hazard to say that um, a lot of our listeners here celebrate um, Christmas in many different ways. Um, there's all sorts of customs and and uh, ways that we celebrate Christmas. My family has, has, has a ton of them. But is there a way that the church has traditionally celebrated the, the feast of Christmas um, in a particular way? A variety of different things. Normally, we only have one Eucharist on a Sunday as far as the service. We have the, we might repeat that. They don't in the Eastern Church, by the way. They'll only have one Eucharist or liturgy as it would be called on a, on a Sunday. We will often have a 9 o'clock, let's say, and a 10 o'clock, something okay. like that. Yeah. But, as, but, they're, but they're the same service repeated. Traditionally, in the Western Church, this is a great feast. It actually has three separate Eucharists with different readings. Really? On the same day. It's, it's very rare that way. It was a one day that the church had three. It was such a big feast. It needed to be celebrated during three separate Eucharists. On December 25th? Well, starting out again in the church year for great feasts, uh, they take the Jewish approach that so the feast begins the previous night. Okay. And so they would start out with the Midnight Mass. People heard of that or the, the, the preceding Eucharist. Yeah, I'd say that that's something that's done quite a lot still, the right. holding the candle and singing carols on Christmas Eve. Right, and uh, we have, for example, in our parish, we have a, a Eucharist at 10 o'clock. Uh, it, should, it used to be midnight traditionally, but it's easier for people at 10 o'clock, so we do 10 o'clock. Uh -huh. And that's where you have the traditional story. What Traditionally, you'd have one at midnight mass, was the medieval tradition. Which, one was at dawn, and one was, quote, during the day. Uh -huh. And so it was at midnight mass that you'd hear the wonderful gospel of the angels coming down, bringing the good news. The mass at dawn was the shepherds going to see what happened, our response to that. Huh. And what really surprises people when they come to the main service is the gospel they're not expecting. They're looking for angels and babies. What they get is John, the first chapter of John's gospel, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. Uh -huh. And they found that that's the fundamental meaning of Christmas, you know, the second person, the tree, God himself, taking on our humanity. Okay. So the first, so th that's in the first um, that's in the first service, the midnight mass. Uh, no, I'm no, uh, sorry. sorry. Is there three services? The first uh -huh. is the midnight mass, as they call it, would be the, uh, the, the main gospel would be the angels bringing the good news. Okay. Tidings of great joy. The morning would be the shepherds, the shepherds responding, going and actually finding the baby and his mother. Okay. And then the third the one third is would be John's gospel. The incarnation. Got because it. the church likes to call in the Eastern church. They call, we tend to call John, John, the apostle or John, the evangelist in the Western church In the Eastern church. They call him the theologian. 
Yeah. And that's because he's the one who tells us fundamentally at a deeper level, what does it all mean? Mm-hmm. And so the church is telling us after we've heard those wonderful stories of Jesus birthing, but fundamentally, why is it important? And that's where that first chapter of John, the beginning was the word and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So that's why we have that sort of unexpected gospel for a lot of people are surprised when they hear that they come to church on Christmas day. They're sort of surprised to hear that gospel. Yeah. But it's always been like that. The midnight mass is the announcement, you know, to the shepherds. Dawn, the Mass of Dawn, with the shepherds actually coming, responding, seeing the baby Jesus, and going going back, Mary meditating on things in her heart. And the third was, again, the announcement, what does it mean? The Word became flesh and uh-huh. dwelt among us. So the third Mass is, this is the takeaway right. of what is actually happening. Um, right. So it kind of unfolds that truth throughout the night and the morning. And as Anglicans, we have three separate, if you look at our lectionary, we have three separate lectionary readings for each Eucharist. We have three Eucharists potentially on Christmas. Oh, wow. Wow. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that's uh, the, I definitely didn't know that. Yes. Um, so, but as we've talked about before, uh, Christmas isn't just one day, but it's, uh, it's actually a season on the calendar, right? How, how long does Christmas actually go? Well, it's uh, actually traditionally in the, in the church, the idea was, you know, think of like visiting a place, you just, you, you just, you can't do London in, in a day type of thing. Uh-huh. Because the church felt uh, typically uh, a great feast took a week to do. They call them octaves from eight days. You know, basically the feast itself through the next Sunday, like Pentecost would have an octave and Easter would have an octave. You okay. know, and, and the same thing was true as Christmas. Except Christmas, there's another great feast, the Epiphany. We talked about that earlier, mm-hmm. which in the... The Western Church is celebrating Christ's manifestation to the Magi, to the nations. This wasn't just for Israel, it was for the nations as well. In the Eastern Church, that's the Feast of Christ's Baptism. It's on January 6th. But that feast is so important, it's one of the major feasts of the church calendar, that instead of having an octave, Christmas actually lasts for 12 days, the the 12 days of Christmas, of of the the Christmas carol fame. So bridging the full gap between December the 25th and January the 6th. Starting with December 25th. Yes. It begins there, if you count the 12 days of Christmas, through January 5th. Right. And it ends on January 5th when we begin the Feast of the Epiphany. Okay, got it. Now, during that time, it's interesting. We have three days that really throw people off a little bit, first of all. And um, December 26th, the very next day, is we have the Feast of St. Stephen, the first martyr. And you've heard of this, Good King Wenceslaus went out on the, on the Feast, Feast of, of Stephen. It's the yeah. day after Christmas, right? That's uh, actually my favorite Christmas carol, <laughs> by far. Boxing Day in England, right? Right. And uh, the, right after that, the next day is John, the apostle or the evangelist, is the 27th. Really? And on the 28th, it's always Holy Innocence. And so a lot of people, that seems sort of strange. It's a tradition in the Western Church, a very strong tradition of that order. And the reason was the different types, you know, remember Jesus said, I haven't come to bring peace, but the sword, you know, we're following his example. Uh It talks about three types of witness. Remember the Greek word martyr means witness, three types of witness for Christ. Yeah. And St. Stephen is someone who voluntarily um, basically offers himself for execution, right? He voluntarily receives his death for Christ. So it's voluntary and executed. St. John, the evangelist, the tradition of the church has never died. I mean, did not die from martyrdom, rather. He was not executed. Okay. You know, he he died a natural death. Uh And so this is an example of something voluntary, somebody ready to die, but it wasn't asked of them. Mm-hmm. And the holy innocents are someone who didn't voluntary for they were simply they were simply victims per se they didn't voluntary for the three types of martyrdom you voluntary and executed voluntary and not executed with Saint John or executed but not voluntary with the holy innocents the three types of witnesses that would come to Christ wow so is there any particular reason why right after um, the nativity we would immediately celebrate 
martyrs, people who had been killed? Well, it's our re- maybe it's a reaction shot, like you think in a movie, is that the, you know, Jesus tells us that his life is not something to be admired, it's something to be followed. He says, anyone who would be my disciple must take up his cross and follow me. Mm-hmm. And so we're finding out that this birth of just reminding us, he's putting our feet on the ground of what this is all about. Yeah. And our response is going to be one form of witness. We're going to be witnesses to this one way or, or, you know, or another, basically. We're going to be witnesses. Right. And everyone, uh, the idea is that all Christians would fall into one of these different three categories. Of, different witnesses, right. And it, that makes sense, actually, because that would, would be reading the nativity back through the death and resurrection of Christ. Um, mm-hmm. Because if he was, was born in order to, uh, in order to die for us in that way, if we're following his witness, then we should, uh, we should be holding up the lives of these people that, that follow that witness. On St. Stephen's day, they emphasize how much his death is, resembles the death of Jesus down to forgiving his enemies at the very end. I mean, it's very closely parallels the death of Jesus. So the idea is again, that he makes it possible, this response in us. So again, those were those three days. Otherwise surprise people. St. Stephen again is somebody who, lays down his life for Christ and his, his life is taken yeah. for that reason. St. John, the evangelist, the beloved, I mean, he's the, the gospel, the great theologian. Uh, here's someone who's ready to do that. Mm-hmm. Actually, there's some traditional accounts that they tried but were unsuccessful. But traditionally, the church has held that he actually died, ultimately died a natural death. And finally, the holy innocence, where again, sadly, they had no choice. They were simply martyred for their faith involuntarily. There's, they didn't make that choice, but it happened for them. But, but they were true witnesses to the faith. But all three, all three are examples of people truly oh. following Jesus truly being witnesses, you yeah. know what? What would be the effect of all of well, this? I gotta say, I'm not, like the idea of remembering death right after, right after, right after Christmas Day. Ah, it feels a little well, morbid. I like I don't. I on Christmas I want to be happy and joyful, but then all of a sudden we have to jump straight to martyrdom. Well, well, well one ought to. Well, martyrdom means witness, but we have to remember that um, the good news of. The church has always held you can't separate Good Friday from Easter Sunday. Mm-hmm. Is for Christians, it's not an end; it's a beginning. Yeah, Christians always celebrated our birth into new life. That's why martyrs are recognized on the day of their death. That was their, their the day of their birth, their birth into into eternal life. Oh, so yeah. for a Christian, it doesn't look the same. Uh-huh. You know, uh, you know, life isn't ended; it's it's changed yeah. in a profound way. So you know, Jesus, you know, you know, he, Stephen is Marcy's Jesus. You know, he's about to come uh, to be with Jesus. So it's a very different view, a Christian view of this. It, it leads somewhere. So the celebration of new life triumphs over death. Uh, right. Ultimately. Yeah. Well, no, we, we, it's our way of, of the way of the cross. Mm. You through these things, we, we end up in life. Mm. Also, another feast during this time is on January 1st. Uh, we think of it as New Year's. Uh, in the church, it's not, as we explained. The New Year in the Western Church uh, takes place at the beginning of Advent. In the Eastern Church, it takes place uh, in September. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for the Western Church, it's the beginning of Advent. So the feast we have is, remember, the Bible would have a young Jewish boy would be circumcised on the eighth day, and that's when he'd receive his name. And oh. so that's why it's the Feast of the Holy Name of Holy Jesus. Holy Name, okay. Wow. Do we? Are there any specific readings that are particular to that day right the episode about jesus in fact being named and you know the 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 emphasis is on the power of the name of jesus okay Mm -hmm. wow does this have anything to do with the uh the the belief that names had power um did that kind of heighten this this thing at any point well talking about jesus especially i mean we're told by his name Uh we will be saved is 
Um, remember that when you talk about God's name in the Old Testament, you know, we're talking about, this clearly has talk of the place where I'll cause my name to dwell, for example. It's, it's God's authority, uh, you know, God's power and his presence. All three, are, the term name will be used. You know, I will make my name there, speaking of building a temple in Jerusalem, to name to dwell, his power, his presence to be there, his authority in the name, you know, in the name of God. Um, so it, yeah. it, that that idea of that power, that presence, that authority, those three things are combined in the name in the name of Jesus. I see. Well, this is a much richer uh, portrait of, of of Christmas than I I feel that I've I've certainly ever gotten. Um, but uh, so I did want to ask you, Father Stephen, before we go, are there any uh, customs or traditions that you and your family have observed over Christmas that that, that you'd like to share? share? Um. um Ironic for being an Anglican uh, Anglican priest. I'm French Canadian in background, and so we uh-huh. have the tradition of the réveillon, which is uh, a meal in the middle of the night. Really? Yeah. Except we've changed it over the years in my family. Is it in 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 Canada and in France? It's an actual meal, like with turkey and things, you know. Uh, but for us, it became all the goodies we didn't have. Advent was a sort of was a quasi penitential season, mm-hmm. so our our tradition in our family is for the réveillon is to go out and to during on Christmas Eve is to go out during the day and buy all sorts of stuff you never buy special olives or something you know, all those kinds of things you know cheeses and sausages uh-huh. and those kind of things and then you just get together around the table and have a giant spread of all this good stuff you know yeah. you know, a, a giant, you know uh, so uh, your family would still do that, and it would be oh, in the middle always, of the night. Oh yes, this is. Um, but it would have like olive and cheese and everything. It's in the, in the middle. So you're of not the... waking up and eating like Santa's cookies or, or Kit Kat bars or oh, anything well, like have, that. No, no, no. They have they have <laughs> cookies too. It has everything. The okay, all, everything. The Réveillon for us, but that's not again in in most in in most uh, situations in French culture. It's an actual meal, like a Thanksgiving wow. meal. Okay, but didn't we know that. Le- we we left that. We ended up liking. The, the stuff. So in our particular family, that has been from my youth and now uh, with my my immediate family, the kids we raised. And to this day, they look forward on Christmas Eve to shopping for the Rivium. Wow, that's super fun. I, <laughs> I have, I've never heard of anything I've never you heard want. Anything you want. You know? <laughs> that's really fun. We did the. Uh, we were the very traditional. Um, we would, you know, set out a plate of cookies for Santa and in the morning they would be eaten. So it's probably pretty heathen or something like that. But we did the full, we did the full Santa thing for a while. Um, but, uh, it didn't, didn't corrupt us. I still believe in Jesus and, okay, <laughs> and all okay. of those things, but I think I never, we did. I the, never doubted that. Alex, yeah, so. I think we did this pretty standard, uh, American, you know, uh, the American kind of fairy tale version. But then of course we'd wake up on on December 25th and read, uh, read the full Christmas story all the way through. Um, we'd have a big breakfast together and, uh, then open presents later. Um, but a- another thing that I wanted to ask Stephen before we go is that Christmas season for me, um, is a huge, there's a huge focus on music and our family. And I think, uh, even still everyone I talk to, um, is all so excited to start listening to Christmas music. They love Christmas music and everyone has their kind of favorites. Do you have a favorite album or a, a favorite artist or anything that you go to for, for Christmas listening? I, I love Christmas music, everything about it, uh-huh. but my favorite album and everyone, in our family, we, we sort of buy them industrially and give them to our friends and becomes their favorite album is John Michael Talbot had a, an album called the birth of Jesus. Okay. Which is wonderful. John I don't like Michael Talbot. John Michael Talbot, The Birth of Jesus. He's also
my favorite album that I've been excited to to share with you, partially because you are French Canadian, is mm-hmm. from another Canadian who who I don't know if he's really Quebecois or not, but uh, Bruce Coburn's album just titled Christmas um, is I think just one of the best, uh, most creative collections of. Of, of Christmas carols and they're very North American sounding. sounds like it's called the Voyageur songs, you know, in Québécois, uh, you know, that very much had that whole feel that sound to it. Yeah, like fur trappers and no, that's exactly, the whole yeah. the, the whole Voyageur thing. where the, uh, for example, the fur trappers went down the rivers and things in the contacts, uh, you know, with the, uh, with the indigenous peoples and things. Right, right. Well, uh, Bruce Coburn, Christmas, give it a listen. I think it's fantastic. Well, thanks, Father Stephen. Uh, so appreciate um, you being on the show again. Uh, and Merry Christmas to everyone um, celebrating uh, the birth of Jesus. But remember, of course, what he came to do. Uh, so we will uh, be back next week with more on liturgy, sacrament, and the great tradition of Christian worship. Thank you for listening. God rest ye merry gentlemen, let nothing you dismay. Remember Christ our Savior was born on Christmas Day to save us all from Satan's power when we were gone astray. Oh, tidings of comfort and joy, comfort and joy. Oh, tidings.